Hi, this is Matt Stagliano, and thanks for being part of the Artist Forge. We're a community of creatives who help each other think like an artist by discussing creativity as a process instead of a skill or a talent. We believe everyone has what it takes to create something amazing, we just need some encouragement and inspiration along the way. What you're about to hear is a live recording of one of our daily discussions on the Clubhouse app. If you like what you hear, I encourage you to join our private Facebook group or visit us on the web at theartistforge.com. Now on to the show. All right, y'all. I see we have friends already joining us. Good morning, Tyler, Carolyn, Robert, Kate, Jean, Noel, Gail, and Cicela. I hope you're having an amazing morning so far. And welcome to Morning Walk and Photo Talk with the Artist Forge. It's cold now. I think here in New Mexico, we have officially moved into actual autumn. The trees are getting close to bare and it's like down in the 20s in the mornings now. So the cold has arrived. But the weird thing is in the next hour, it'll raise by at least 10 degrees. So all this warm stuff I put on to take my walk will probably be peeled off and wrapped around my waist <laughs> by the time the walk is over. So you got to be prepared for the changes. And that's why we're finishing up this week talking about internal conflict. And today we want to touch on the topic of perfectionism, because this is one of those things so many artists stumble over, this need to feel like the work is perfect. And right along next to perfectionism, we have things like comparison and um, the feelings of just not being good enough, not meeting the standard or having people out there whose work is just better than ours and we'll never be able to reach that standard. So there's a whole lot that's wrapped up in feeling the stress of needing to be perfect, of not being good enough, of comparing ourselves to others. And it can be a really difficult hurdle to leap over because as we've talked about um, before, there's always gonna be somebody out there better than us. Somebody a little more, a little more talented or skilled or who's been in the game a little bit longer or has a more unique vision or whatever it is. And that can make things difficult. So that is the topic of conversation for today. Prepare yourselves, gird your loins. Uh, Cause this is probably gonna be a little bit of a difficult one. I have not met an artist yet who hasn't gone through this at least a little bit. So I wanna begin by asking my panel members this morning, do you guys deal with the difficulties of perfectionism? Do you find comparing yourself to others a challenge that's kind of difficult to face? Do you ever suffer from those feelings of not really being good enough when you uh, look at your work compared to your peers and how you stand in your communities, your artistic communities. And if you do, what do we do about it, guys? Like, how do we deal with those feelings? How do we move past them, change the narrative, not let those things stop us from getting where we want to go as artists, business people? Every single time I walk into an art group, I'm like, well, what the fuck am I even doing here? <laughs> It always hurts so much. <laughs> like, ouch, oh man, it got right to the center of your soul. So what is that like for you, Kat? And 
how do you deal is that do you find that just to be kind of a passing thing that rears its ugly head and then you're like ah get out of here or is it more of a more of a continuous struggle I think it's just something I have to accept, you know, and come back to that question. Like, is this true? Um, and then just say, you know what, all I can do is keep moving or stay still. So what do I choose to do? Uh, <laughs> then I choose to learn and grow and be better and yeah, just keep going. That makes sense. So when you have those feelings pop up, it, sounds like it's almost kind of a and so what like I either stop or I keep going despite the fact that I feel like I don't measure up I mean what are your options really right I mean those are the options right like right. stop or go <laughs> I mean that's true it it's strangely it's, it reminds me of um as a military spouse I have a lot of people will say, oh, I just don't know how you do it when he leaves you and you're alone for a year with your kids. And I, I don't think I could do that. And I'm like, well, what, what would you do? Just leave? Like, this, I mean, the options are to stay and gut it out or to say bye. And that is kind of a shitty option. So you just do it. I mean, I guess it's kind of a similar analogy. Do you quit and go work at Nordstrom's <laughs> or do you keep doing what you're doing anyway? What is it that Sue says? I'm completely unemployable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of beginning to discover that about myself. So that makes sense as a just really simple, simplified way of asking yourself, uh, well, what are your options here? Is it true? And if it is, what are the what are what can you do about it? You quit or you go? It's a really good good question to ask yourself, kind of a good baseline to orient yourself. So let's say we go, okay, not gonna quit, gonna keep going, but these feelings might make us hesitate or make us stop or feel just feel bad enough that maybe they steal some of the joy from the things that we're doing. Um, do you find that that's the case at all? Or once you've made that decision, does it, the rest kind of handle itself? Um, I just sort of lean into like, okay, if that, if we're playing like the comparison game and you see something that just blows you away and you're like, ah, fuck me. And <laughs> like, once you take the, the, that, uh, that initial impact out of the equation and you start dialing into like, okay, what are the, what are the components of this that I really appreciate? What do I really love about this? Why is it hitting me like this? And you kind of dig into that visual literacy a little bit to see if you can deconstruct it and how can you implement or practice that thing into your own workflow so that it can become part of your repertoire. Um, I think that happens a lot too. Like if I'm, if I'm pretty, if I'm following, say it's Instagram, right. And I'm following like the algorithm has this one artist, like in my feed always, uh, I actually have to go and be like, okay, I am recognizing this as far too, too often. So I need to like mess with the algorithm to get other input. I have to go looking for other artists so that 
I don't spend all of my time with blinders on and start looking for other inspiration and other influence um, that I can I can draw from and incorporate as well. Otherwise, it ends up just getting really like murky. I really love that. So we have some like fantastic practical things there. Um, I love the idea of kind of making sure that you're not being bombarded with that same work over and over again. And I think there's a lot of good things that come from that, right? Not just making sure that um, we're not continuously being thrown against that wall of here's someone who's better than you, <laughs> but also so that our inspiration doesn't, you know, become all one-sided and we kind of lose some of that variability. So I really, really love that advice. And then I also, um, I also appreciate the fact that it's like, the question is now, so you've decided to move forward. So how do you like, how do you do it? And I love just taking that apart and saying, okay, if this is making me feel like my work does not reach the standard, what is it about it? That's so good. And how do I take those pieces and implement what it is? And maybe it's the light and maybe it's the styling or the quality of the model or the subject or whatever, um, who knows what it might be, but I think that's a really good point. And also, um, since you brought that up, I also think it's important for us to ask ourselves when we see something that's really fantastic like that and it makes us feel some kind of way, I think we also should ask ourselves, is this even something I want to do? And the reason is because that's, I have to ask myself that a lot. Um, because I'm highly competitive by nature. And it's something that I have to, um, I have to control within myself because I, I cannot be everything as much as I keep trying to be. Um, and I will see somebody who has done some really beautiful, um, maybe abstract black and whites or, you know, something else. And I'll look at it and I'll be like, oh my God, it's so good. I need to do that. Like, but then I have to ask myself, do I really though? Like, is that actually the career I want to have? Because I can't be both, you know, an abstract fine artist and a digital artist and a portrait photographer and, 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 and. Um, so there are definitely times where I will allow myself to get sucked down that hole of comparison when I don't even actually want to be the thing that I'm comparing myself to. Um, I just really appreciate that work. And for some reason, my natural inclination is to be like, well, then you must do it. But I, I don't, <laughs> I just weirdly feel like I do. So that might be something for people who are like me to consider um, kind of just like pinning on to Kat's really fantastic advice about breaking down those pieces and really asking yourself, what is it about this work that I'm connecting to? Um, and certainly being able to take the pieces that, uh, that you can and fold those into your own process, but making sure that it is actually something you want to do and not just, um, I guess my feelings must be one of, I don't know, lesser something. I haven't really, I haven't examined them much, but I just know that that's something I do. So it might be something you do, maybe something to avoid. <laughs> it doesn't feel super fantastic. Um, I see we have lost Bassam. That's a bummer. Maybe he can only be with us for a little bit this morning, or hopefully he comes back later. All right, on the topic, y'all, what, how do we deal if we are 
facing perfectionism, comparison, all those yucky things. How do we deal, Matt, Becca? What do you guys think? Way back, God, it must have been a couple of months back. You said something that really kind of hit me to my core, which was that when you were a kid, much like me, um, you're in the gifted and talented program or something to that effect, right? And so was I. And I think that was probably the worst thing that ever happened to my self-confidence. And this leads somewhere. Let me let me continue. So it's the worst thing that happened to my self-confidence because it made me competitive. It made me think that I had to achieve a certain standard in things. And that's drilled into you over and over and over again so that your bar keeps getting raised higher and higher. For me, it's the old emotion of doing something for the first time and being really excited about it. That sets the bar for me. But I found that my perfectionism is driven from wanting to recapture that emotion, wanting to feel that love and that passion for the thing that I'm doing and recapture that that feeling again. So I'm constantly going, it's, it's not as good as that first time. It's not as good. Therefore, the work isn't as good. If I'm looking at someone else's work, it's competitive. And again, it's like, you're better than this. You know you're better than this. You've got to do better, no matter what the work is, right? So there's this constant high bar that's almost, well, it's completely unattainable. That's where my perfectionism comes from. I think the way that I deal with it is kind of a couple of things that were were just said about, you know, <laughs> you have two choices, stop or go. Um, there is, you know, is it true or not? Like you were just saying, Nicole, is it true that I even want to do this thing? Is this Should this even matter to me? But it takes a few moments for me to just kind of step outside myself and look at what it is that I'm complaining about. Why am I comparing or why do I have this perfectionist tendency? Why is this piece of work never done? Why is my work never good enough? Yada, yada, yada. So once I can step outside and see that, then I realize what's going on. It's that self-awareness. Realize what's going on. Realize, all right, it's just this kind of perfectionist part of you kicking up. Reel it in and look at the work objectively. If you had no connection to it at all, what would you be thinking? And if there's something to add or, you know, improve, great. If there's not, don't worry about it. So it's, again, taking a breath, like I've said so many times in so many other areas of my life, take a breath, kind of analyze it and see where it's really coming from. That's the way that I deal with it all. Ooh, I find that really interesting, Matt. And I really like questioning yourself on where that comes from and recognizing, um, sometimes the root of of that is like things that have kind of been programmed into us a long time ago that we're not consciously deciding is something we want to be part of our experience and also i find it really interesting that your comparison is not to other people's work necessarily but to the feeling that you got when you first did something really well and that excitement was there and uh I'm, I'm super interested later on to hear if other people also um, are experiencing that and going, oh, it doesn't feel the same, which must mean it's not as good because that's, that's such an interesting thing. And I wonder if that, I mean, this is, 
it's not like these things need to be graded or weighed against one another, but I wonder how that differs from the, those of us who comparison means comparing our work to others. Um, well, I'll, I can, I can add on to oh, that. Yeah, go ahead. So it, it's a, it's kind of a progression from that. I get triggered by seeing other people's amazing work. And then I go, I'm not good enough. I used to be good, or at least I felt like I was good. I'm not good enough. I need to raise the bar. So it's always triggered, but I'm not saying I want to do that person's work or I want to do their style or even, you know, whatever, whatever creative outlet they're using. I don't want that, but I see something in them where they're happy. I wish I were happy with my work. Why can't I be happy with my work? Oh, and it just, you know, it, it keeps going inward rather than outward and connecting to their work. Does oh, that make sense? Yeah, a hundred percent. And you just said something that I immediately latched onto. They're happy. Is that something that you are projecting with your, your feelings about their work and making the assumption that they must feel that way about their work as well? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, I see someone's highlight reel of their life, right? So if I don't, right. if I don't know you, I'm seeing what you're proud of and what you're happy with. And unless you're putting that filter on like, ah, they could be bullshitting, um, you know, you're always, that's the story that I'm making up in my head. They must be really happy with their work and really proud of their work. And this must be not an issue for any of them. Awesome. Oh, right. Okay. So the thing that you just said is so interesting to me because there are these assumptions that we make about what other people do think and feel that we project and some of those are some of those are based on i think some messed up ways that society functions and and let me explain this so we have this weird idea corporately that something called normal exists right and most of us feel like we don't quite fit into whatever normal is right we all think that we're some kind of outlier somehow, um, whether that is because of our family situation or um, neurodivergency, or you know we have something going on, we're eccentric, whatever, for whatever reason, we just feel like we don't quite fit into that normal, but all of us feel fairly certain that normal is a real thing. And I think what that does is kind of give us this baseline we measure ourselves against that doesn't actually exist. It's this imaginary thing we've all kind of decided that we believe in, even though it's, it's not a thing. Normal is only really the average of all the weirdness, right? Like when we, when we weigh all the weirdness together, normal falls somewhere in the middle, but it's not, that's no one's personal experience because nobody, no, it's not like the majority of people live in normal and a few of us are on the outside. It's just a statistical anomaly, right? So because we have this weird corporate idea that normal is a thing or that happy is a thing, and we feel like we fall outside of that somehow, not as happy as them, not as normal as them, whatever, not as, it leads us to separate ourselves. We feel like we are the one, the weird one, the only one who is experiencing or feeling this thing. And so all of a sudden it's that feeling of otherness and aloneness 
that's really the like the ultimate crux right it's really the thing that hurts more than anything else because one of the most deadly things a human being can feel is alone lonely separated other um, this is the cause of much depression and anxiety and substance abuse and a whole bunch of other things when we feel like we are somehow outside and we've lost that ability to connect and be part of the whole and I, I know that this kind of might seem like it's going on a little bit of a tangent but I think we have to recognize that when we make those assumptions number one it's weirdly kind of naturally built into the way that we function as a society. I don't know why we think that normal is a thing, but we do. And the result of that is we will often make the assumption that normal is what other people experience, not what we experience. And so somehow now we are outside of that experience, which then leads to all the crummy, shitty feelings and all the behaviors, the self-medicatory behaviors that we fall into. And we need to recognize that that is a thing. And I, I'm not saying at all that that's what you do, Matt. But when you said that, it just made me realize all of a sudden this propensity that we have. And I think if we can notice our, notice the times that we look at somebody else and say, oh, they look so happy. They must be thrilled with their work. They don't have the problems I have with not being good enough or whatever. Um, we're making something up that doesn't actually exist because we don't know their experience. We don't know if they're trying to put a brave face on it. They didn't love the shoot, but they shared it anyway because they needed something to share. And then they say, oh, yay. <laughs> we don't know. We're projecting that stuff. And when we do that, we're pushing ourselves into that position of outsider. So maybe if we can recognize what we're doing when we start to do that, I wonder if we can kind of short circuit that whole thought process and um, take away some of the sting of, well, we're really hurting ourselves, aren't we, when we do that? And maybe we, maybe we don't have to if we recognize what we're doing. Sorry, don't leave me hanging, guys. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I wasn't trying to leave you hanging. I was just, it was, you landed the plane so nicely right there. I didn't want to disturb. And I figured we would ask Becca what she thought. Fair. Uh, well, Becca thinks that um, the the discussion of comparison in regards to perfectionism is, is interesting because I don't really think that way personally like my struggles with perfectionism are all definitely internal and based on my own standards and desires rather than looking at other artists um and i'm in general like very much a follower of the school of thought that finished is better than perfect that something done okay and decently today is going to serve me a lot better than something done perfectly next month because it might be seem perfect to me next month, but in a year from now, I'm probably going to look at it and think that it's shit. And um, those standards are always growing. And you know what I think is good or perfect is constantly changing. And um, like for me, I I don't really have kind of the privilege of time a lot. And there's been a lot of times where I've put something off because I couldn't control my circumstances or control my environment or you know felt like the stars needed to align just right for me to do something. And then I just never fucking did it. And 
that it's been, you know, five years have passed and I still haven't fucking done it. And it's like, wow, what if I just did it? And I did it not in the best, most perfect way, but I still would have done it. And I still, even if it was a failure, I still would have learned something. Um, and so that's, that's kind of been my general take on perfectionism. And I, I can't take the time and beat myself up about it because otherwise I will get nothing done ever. And I can't do that because time is, you know, a finite resource and it's going and going and disappearing so fast. Ooh, you just made the siren call of all the parents out there. <laughs> it's disappearing so fast. Um, okay. So first I love the fact that I'm, I'm really glad that you, you do follow that school of thought. And for folks who have never heard of the finished is better than perfect. Can you explain that? And then I want to ask you a couple questions about, you said that your struggle does not fall in comparing yourself to other people, but in kind of reaching your own standards. So I want to dig into that a little bit more because I'm sure some folks in the audience uh, suffer with the same thing. So, or face the same challenges. I'm trying to uh, take Lee's advice and remember how I word my things. So, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, finished is better than perfect is, I mean, it's pretty straightforward, right? I mean, there's, especially when working with like clients or anything, right? And you have a deadline and I'm sure each of us could agonize for days and weeks and months over perfecting every tiny last pixel on an image. Um, but uh, then it's not done and it's not going to get done and you're dropping the ball on your work and you're not keeping up to their other people's expectations, right? So you kind of have to ma manage what expectations you need to meet. Um, and honestly, like a lot of times, you know, as artists, we have very, very high standards for certain things and the people we work with aren't even going to notice those things at all. So as long as it's done, that's a thousand times better than it being perfect down to the last pixel. So much, so much, so, so much, oh, okay. so much. Oh, I can hear myself. There you go. Um, okay. So really important thing for us to remember and something I think all of us should try when you get to that point where you recognize you're agonizing, remind yourself that finished is better than perfect. And I have worked with folks before who basically told me, oh, you turned that in, you got that done. And I was kind of like, yeah, I mean, obviously <laughs> that's, you gave me the assignment. I did the thing and here you go. And then they've said to me, you would not believe how many artists I try to work with who just will never turn in the product because they just don't feel like they made it or they, they got to the point where they thought it's not good enough. They're going to call me on it and then they'll never hire me again or, you know, whatever else it is that they're saying in their head. And they told me you would be surprised how many people just can't turn it in, can't meet the deadline, can't hand things over. Um, and that makes a difference because if we knew how often the work that we see, the movies that we watch, the songs we listen to, the art that we love, if we knew how often those artists were like, oh my God, it's, it doesn't reach the standard of perfection I have in my brain, so it's just not worth anything, but they needed to make money <laughs> or they had a deadline for the movie or whatever it was, that stuff got done. You and I will never know the struggle that they went through to release that product into the world. But we just fall into that 
thing I was talking about earlier where we make the assumption, they must have stood back and said, ah, Eureka, I have done it, it is perfect. <laughs> Here it goes out into existence to please the world. And yet that's probably nowhere close to the reality of what they went through at the end. They probably went, well, <laughs> I could dick around with it forever, but good enough is good enough and force themselves to turn the thing over. So maybe if we recognize that most artists feel that way at least a little bit, they go, oh, if I would have moved the light two centimeters to the right, if I would have put a fan in her hair, if I would have picked a different shirt <laughs> or whatever, things would have been better. But you don't know that and nobody else does either. So stop torturing yourself with it. So, is that at all, Becca, similar to your experience with your work? If you're not comparing it to other people, but to the own standards that you have set for yourself, um, is that at all kind of what you go through when you struggle with those comparisons as related to perfectionism? Um, I mean, I, I don't tend to compare um, because I will never be making art that's not my own art right like i can look at other art and be like damn that is awesome like i want to make things like that and the only way to go and make things like that that are becca flavored is to make things that are shitty first until i could get better at them um so i mean i just i don't really feel intimidated by other artists and i know like i definitely have i know what that feels like and i know it's a very common feeling um but just i mean realistically i i can't make any art that's not mine right and so i can't obsess over how good someone else is i can only obsess over how good i can potentially be right because you said earlier that it's your own standards that you can yeah and i mean those things. standards are often higher than the art that comes out of my fingertips <laughs> right so how do you how do you deal with that I, in in the same way, it just it's just gotta get done. It's just gotta get done. I mean, it's it's sheer willpower and I don't know spite for the universe. Like you know, there's, <laughs> there's nothing I can do to make everything perfect. It's just not a realistic goal. And I if I, I keep that as the goal um, for every piece, then I'm not going to make any progress. Um, like a like, like with learning 3D, for instance, um, I, I think I first really wanted to start learning 3D modeling maybe like, it was a long time ago. I was probably like 22 years old. And um, I kept thinking, oh, yeah, I can do it a couple months. Like maybe, you know, when I finally get a vacation or get a better computer or, you know, whatever, blah, 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 bullshit. And then I didn't even actually attempt anything until I was like 28, 29 years old. And that was, you know, six whatever years wasted that I could have been progressing towards those high standards that I have that I didn't utilize because I didn't think that everything was lined up the way it needed to be to be perfect. And if I just gone and done the thing and even done the thing badly and taken, you know, the bad as a way to learn, I could be so much further in my own personal art and in my career than by dragging my feet because things weren't perfect and the art wouldn't have been perfect. Perfect. I love that. Um, I'm not even going to add anything. I think that was a really fantastic example. And 
I hope folks are listening so far because we've got some really great advice for those times when we're dealing with feelings of perfectionism or comparison or just being not good enough, not reaching the standard. So what are you gonna do about it? <laughs> well, you got two options, right? You go or you quit. And then recognizing where that comes from. Um, do we have false ideas in our head about what normal is, what good is, what perfect is, what other people think of work or what other artists feel when they release their work? And then recognizing that as much as you try, you can only ever make work and should only ever make work that is you. If your goal is to be an artist, it's always going to be flavored with you and you should not be trying to reach for standards that are not your own. Um, and you should be doing some expectation management on your own behalf. The same that we would do for our clients. Let yourself know beforehand, look, this is gonna be ours. And it might be kind of shitty at first and that's okay. Maybe we're still moving towards the thing. And remember that chances are the folks that you're working with and for won't see the things that you see because they're not you. They didn't make the art. They don't know the struggle that went into it. And so all the assumptions you have in your head about what they're gonna think or feel are not even valid. They're your projections. So keeping those things in mind, I would love to hear from the rest of the audience this morning. Do you struggle with perfectionism or comparison? And if you do, if those are challenges that you have faced, We'd love to hear from you. And if you've overcome them, how did you do it? Tell us your secrets. Explain to us. I see we've got a couple hands up there. Erica and Carolyn. Hello, good morning, ladies. Um, Carolyn, would love to hear from you. I know you had your hand up earlier as well. So share with us. Good morning. I uh, can relate to what Becca's saying where I don't compare myself to others as much as I do to um, my own abilities and my comparison or perfectionism problem is more situational in that I often will make excuses like, well, if I had the perfect studio or the perfect gear or a second income or this or that or whatever, then I would be this amazing, successful photographer. And because I don't have those things, I'm making excuses not to go for it. And that is one of my biggest blocks that I've been dealing with. And I'm not sure how to, uh, how to, how to not be that way. Um, not sure, but that's a struggle for me is more of a situational perfectionism. If only my situation were different, then I would be a different photographer. Oh, Carolyn, you woman after my own heart. <laughs> I know, I know this struggle. Well, um, I have been intimately acquainted with that as a mom trying to make a business work, having kidlets at home, being on a, uh, you know, a single income um, with my husband. And so having to kind of scrape and scratch my way up and watching my peers and thinking how wonderfully they're doing and how 
if I only had the freedom that they had, if I had a better camera, if I had a studio, if I, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, then maybe I could be doing that work, getting that client, bidding for that job, whatever it is. And not begrudging them, of course, any of that, but just recognizing the limitations of my own situation and wondering what things would be like if I didn't have those. So I first, I feel you girl, I empathize deeply. And so there's a few things at least that I do, but I would love to hear from the other panelists. Y'all, do you ever fall into this, this challenge? And if you do, how do you work yourself out of it? Nobody, huh? Y'all are rock stars. Okay. I'm all alone. <laughs> I'm all alone. You're not alone. It's not alone. Me, girl. <laughs> I've definitely fallen into the, the gear trap for sure. Like, oh, well, I'm only shooting on, you know, a Canon D, 5D Mark II, right? And I shot on that motherfucker for years, right? And I'd be like, well, I could go and do and da 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 da. And it really isn't until you've kind of beaten the gear to death to where you can really execute with that gear inside and out, eyes closed. Do you really need to up level the gear? Like I've been sitting on like, do I go mirrorless for the last like six months? Like why cat? Is it really necessary? No. Could I do X, Y, and Z? Oh, they can produce that because, you know, their camera body is rock star or whatever. Or they're using 27 lights. Like, who gives a shit? Like, make what you want to make. And when you find that you're in a space where you cannot execute because of those limitations, cool. Then it's time to to move forward into, into other things. But it's not like that, that gear space, I have to like smack my hand and be like, no cat, you don't need to go and spend $9,000 on X, Y, or Z just because you want it because somebody else produced X, Y, or Z with that thing. That doesn't mean I can't try and create something with that as an inspiration. It just means like, no, just stay in your lane. Like, and my accountant tells me that too. Should we all have such wonderful accountants who control our impulses? <laughs> Um, anybody else, does anybody else kind of struggle with this situational comparison where you feel like if you just had X, if you just could get your hands on that studio space or better lights or whatever it is, then you'd be making the work that you want to make. 100%. Yeah. Um. Oh, sorry, Becca. But yeah, I was, Nicole, I wasn't leaving you hanging a minute ago. I was doing what I always do. I was talking to a muted microphone and <laughs> I'm going, why is she sick? Oh, son of a, and then Kat summed up everything that I was going to say, Carolyn. Yeah. For me, I had all those feelings and I spent all the money and I got the studio and I got all the lights and now I shoot in an eight by eight corner with a lot of natural light, maybe one strobe every now and again on a consumer level camera, not even a pro level camera. Um, you don't need all the stuff, but I thought you did. And my bank account really wishes I had all that money back from all those years of chasing something that all I really realized I needed was just a little bit more confidence. 
That was it. Love it. Becca, let's hear from you too. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely know how that feels. Um, I, I think a lot of my own ability to manage that is like from starting photography and just art in general, like really young and like, I was really down and out. I had jack shit. And so like there were periods where I like wanted to take photos and I didn't even have a camera. So like I was taking photos on my terrible webcam just because I wanted to create photos and I was recognizing what my limitations were. I didn't have a camera. I didn't have enough money to buy a camera. So how could I possibly make art? Well, I have a shitty webcam. So what can I do with what I do have? And, um, just that entire mindset's really stuck with me. And so like, yes, would I love to buy a new camera? Absolutely. Would I love to have more studio space? Absolutely. Would I like a better computer? I mean, not really, because I, I just spent a lot of money on a new computer. But um, in general, like, yeah, I know what it feels like 100, 100%. And I put things off with that reasoning. But there's ways to create fantastic art that gets what you want to get across without those tools. So really looking at like, what is the purpose of your art? you know, what is the message you want to tell? Um, you can do that with very, very few tools and a, you know, unless you're actively trying to show off your technical prowess, like you don't need the best of the best of those tools. And again, recognizing things that they're, they're tools to get the job done. So you need what you need to get the specific job done. If that makes sense. Ooh, yes. And I think, um, I think you hit the nail. So it's really interesting the the path that this conversation took, and I think you hit the nail on the head as far as gear is concerned. Um, one of the important things I think for us to remember is that we somehow do have this in our head that if I could get the pro photo lights, <laughs> right, or if I could afford the et cetera, then, oh, then. Um, but in fact, the reason that lights like that really do exist is not because somehow the quality of the light coming from them just supersedes all other light. It does not. It's because when you are shooting um, things for clients, you need to work fast. You need to have a fast recycle time. You need to have consistent white balance across all the images. Your colors need to stay the same. Like there are all of these small technical things that only matter in certain situations that for most of us, we will never actually come in contact with. Most of us will be beautifully, perfectly fine with an alien bee <laughs> um, working in the studio, doing the thing and making gorgeous work. Um, so that's really the question that I ask myself often is when I look back at some of the art that has touched me deeply, what did those people have at their disposal? When I look back at early photographs and I'm thinking about the fact that this person was working with technology that my phone supersedes by leaps and bounds. No, it um, Excuse me? Sorry, finish. <laughs> <laughs> okay, hang in there for just a second. Um, you know, that, that I have at my fingertips all of this ability to do amazing things and yet people have been creating art that stands the test of time often with less than i have and and it's art that still touches me and still moves me and still you know retains its its vigor and then i go man so what i'm really doing is justifying why i'm not trying 
and I'm justifying keeping myself in my safe space by using the gear as a scapegoat, right? I'm going, well, I can't make that because so that I don't have to try and fail because when I fail, then I can blame it on the fact that I don't have the things. So for me, that's really the way that I deal with that struggle, Carolyn. And then also um, reminding myself that my, I can only walk my own path and I don't know what other people had to do to get to the point where they have that stuff. Like they might, I, I, maybe I spent five years on the struggle bus trying to scrape up the money I needed to be able to do whatever. They might've spent 10, they might've spent 20, I don't know. Um, <laughs> and I don't know that their work necessarily got any better either. Um, I haven't seen their early work. I might just be making these assumptions. So I have to remind myself that each person's story is their own and I can only walk in mine and that I can't use the not have as an excuse not to do because I can't justify not trying. I'm either going to do this thing or I'm not going to do it. And that's kind of, uh, that's kind of for me how I deal with it when I start feeling that way, which I have done lots and often and had to fight, fight myself because I'm really good at feeling sorry for myself. It's one of my main talents. So, and not saying that you do, but I definitely do. Um, all right. So I want to be able to get some replies from you. I'm sure you probably have thought yourself down these paths <laughs> anyway. Um, and then make sure that we hear from Erica and then Robert as well. And I see Gene's got his hand up, so I'll grab him too. So Carolyn wants you to get a chance to reply to everybody who's kind of shared how they deal with the situation and then make sure we hear from Erica. Oh no, I, I appreciate all of this. And I know that I'm just being a whiny bitch, but you um, baby, it's, it's very helpful when you hear, hey, and I, I appreciate the responses. I really do. I'm so glad to hear it. Um, and I feel, yeah, sometimes just telling myself that you are being a whiny little bitch. <laughs> like, okay, fine. <laughs> uh, sometimes kicking your own self in the butt a little bit helps. All right, Erica, I want to hear from you and then Robert and then Jean. All right. Um, I'm on the road to Nashville today, so hopefully you can hear me. Uh, let me know if you can't. But I've got a, a couple of things on this. I'm definitely um, feel the same way as Becca, like just get it done, just swing the bat. Um, I myself have acquired a lot, a lot of equipment, and I can tell you that the equipment doesn't make a difference. It is my failures that have propelled my skill forward. So every time you swing the bat and every time you fail, it's an opportunity to grow. So, you know, so don't be afraid to swing the bat because it's just, it's just gonna make you better. And then secondly, um, I've learned the art of giving myself grace. Uh, when I do fail, it's, it's okay. Like I said, it's a learning experience. It's not, um, not that I'm a bad person or I'm an awful artist or, you know, it's just the best I could do with the resources I had at that time and, you know, what can I do to make it better? So um, those are my, my two cents on that. 
Love it. Love it. Love it. G uh, Robert, go ahead. Okay, then. Since I'm the old part of the group today, I was shooting with film before digital ever arrived. And of course, I did go digital long before anybody else. I started with a, a, a Coolpix 950. But I keep gotten better equipment because, not because I just needed a new camera, it's because the equipment gets better every generation. It has better detail. It has better stuff. It's not just because it's a better camera. It's a new, better camera because the technology has getting caught up to it. And, you know, I know my wife said, well, what would that camera do that the other one didn't? A lot. Because they get more depth. I get more control. It works better. I'm not quite the artist. I am a portrait photographer. And I really need a high-quality image, even though I do soften them down because people don't want to be that sharp because, oh, my God, reality struck. But I've been struggling with this for 30 years. And I have friends who make a lot more money than me, but I don't think there's – we're about basically even, and it's more in the marketing and being able to be – proud of who you are and not be that little wimpy guy in the corner, which is me, who's afraid to get out there and go, I'm really good. So with that, but I love my equipment. I do have the studio. I do shoot with six lights in the studio because especially when digital first started, if you didn't light it, you didn't see it. It's locked up. And now you have a little more control. With that, I'll shut up. Yeah, I think, you know, Robert, you really just kind of illustrated um, an important part of the point that Becca was making, which is you get what you need to get the job done, right? And uh, each phase of photography over the years has required different things from photographers. And I think the important thing is that we make sure we take the time to recognize when those changes do actually need to be made. And I remember thinking... Um, I remember thinking to myself for a long time when I was shooting on a crop sensor camera, if I just had a full frame camera, everything would change. But I wasn't working in situations that necessarily required a full frame camera until a little bit later when I was shooting in confined spaces in darker situations, when I was shooting weddings and receptions. And then I went, okay, so at this point I can't make what I want to make with the gear that I have, but I knew enough about what I was doing by then to recognize how things needed to change in order for me to get what I wanted. And you recognized there's certain things I need for the control that I want, like the depth and the clearness, the clarity, all of those things. So you get the, the gear that matches what you need. But sometimes when we can't afford to move forward, I think we have to remind ourselves that people have been making really incredible pieces of art for a long time with less than what we have now. So if you do have to wait a while before you get yourself the gear that you need to make the work you want, just remember that there's a lot you're gonna take from making the most of what you have, a lot of experiences that you're gonna get. I actually wanna use a friend of mine to illustrate this. So if you've never heard of Lillian Liu, I encourage you to go look her up. She's a wonderful artist. Her work is fantastical and dreamy and imaginative. 
and will immediately kind of transport you away into fairyland. She does not own studio lights. I think maybe actually she has one now. <laughs> um, most of her light or most of her photographs are shot in whatever light she happens to have available. So if she's outside or if she can get a window or something like that, she's shooting often in available lighting. Um, and because of that, she has taught herself techniques that only she uses because she was compensating for the places and the things that she could not do. And as a result of that, her work is highly specific to her. I mean, highly specific to her. If you go scrolling through a thousand images and you see one of Lillian's, you're not gonna mistake it. But it's also because she didn't have those things. And so the processing that she did compensated for that, which over time has turned into her style. And if she were to start bringing in lights on the regular, um, it would necessitate some changes in how she approaches her work, which I'm not saying would be better or worse in either case. It just means that dealing with those creative restrictions has lent to her approaching her work in a way that is very much her own. And so when we're stuck in those places where we need better gear or we think if we had the better gear, we would be making better work, there's a chance that that could be true if you're coming up against restrictions that don't allow you to do the things you want to do. But remember that while you're in that place of not having those things and you're having to come up against those restrictions, that is where creativity will flourish the absolute most because creativity is problem solving and taking disparate pieces of information and combining them together into new things. And when you have restrictions, that's when you have to come up with creative solutions. So if that's the spot that you're in right now, don't be afraid, push yourself, try to make what you want anyway, try to think your way through it. How can you compensate for what you don't have? And I think you'll be surprised at how far you will be able to grow even within the limitations that you have. And then of course, Robert is absolutely right. When you need the new gear for the thing that you need, you need it. But don't be afraid if you're stuck waiting, okay? So I want to make sure we hear from Jean and then MJ. Well, geez, Nicole, you always uh, steal my thunder and make my point. you got to get out of my head. Oh, no! Sorry. <laughs> um, what I wanted to say was, um, you know, I was, I was listening uh, to Kat talk about gear. Um, and then I, I listened to Robert. But, but the points that you just made um, really encapsulate kind of my feelings on this subject. I, for seven years up until the pandemic kind of derailed things for them, uh, I was the camp, um, instructor for photography for the Girl Scouts here in Virginia. And one of the big complaints that I used to hear all the time at the beginning of the class was that their mom or dad wouldn't let them bring the big fancy cameras to camp. And so they were stuck with these little point and shoots and, you know, the camp, uh, director, you know, always asked me, you know, well, you know, should we, you know, make the, um, you know, should we put in the brochure that the kids need to bring an S a, a DSLR and all this kind of stuff. And I always resisted that because, you know, my job was to teach them photography and that doesn't necessarily mean teach them how to shoot a DSLR. And 
I, I've thought a lot about this. In fact, one of my very first and kind of embarrassing YouTube videos uh, was on this subject, but it was more from the standpoint of, of shooting on manual. But I, I think that this mentality applies very nicely to the gear question as well, because I've found that a lot of beginning photographers and, and, a, and a lot of really creative people who, who really love to create and who have amazing ideas in their head, but they just haven't really figured out what medium they want or they can uh, express that creativity and are picking up cameras and they're getting online and they're getting bullied by people to, to get off auto or, you know, to shoot fully manual. You're not really a photographer until you shoot manual. And I've heard this so many times. And what I've told people, beginning photographers and mostly kids and in the circles that I run in with the Girl Scouts and stuff, I've always said, you know, don't be in such a rush to, to get, you know, to manual settings on your camera. And I think this argument holds also, you know, to not be in such a rush to, to, to get a big, fancy, expensive camera. I think that there is a huge benefit to uh, limiting yourself uh, to, to, the, to the constraints of either limited gear or uh, uncomplicated camera settings when you're first starting out. Because there are so many things that are equally if not more important in the art of photography than just getting the settings on your camera right i mean how many of us have seen photographers that seem to do really well getting great exposure but their composition is a little weird or their subject isn't really standing out or i mean there, there's there's so many other aspects all the things that we talked about the entire month on visual literacy has nothing to do with uh, camera settings. Well, I mean, some of it had a little bit to do with camera settings, you know, depth of field and focus and things like that. But by and large, creativity doesn't start with a big expensive camera and manual camera settings. Um, I, I think that, Nicole, you, you, you said it beautifully when you say that creativity is problem solving. And when you're limited by uh, a point and shoot camera or you know, uh, uh, an inability to really wrap your head around the exposure triangle. You know, I, I feel really bad when people get discouraged and put the camera down because they can't figure it out or they give up because they can't afford a big, fancy, expensive camera because that's not photography. I mean, photography has been done, you know, all the way back to pinhole cameras. In fact, I would love to make a pinhole camera. Matter of fact, I'm shooting uh, my grandfather's uh, 1949, uh, Reina cross three 35 millimeter black and white film camera right now, because I, I enjoy the challenge. And I think that that's really kind of where I, where I come to when we talk about this, because, you know, I, I, I enjoy dialing back from the gear, dialing back from the complexity um, I, I love exploring the complexity. I'm a, I'm, I'm a technologist. That was my career. That's my profession. So I love the technology. I love getting new software and new gear. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm tinkering with it, but I love going back to the basics. I love shooting film. I love, um, you know, uh, keeping things simple and I love focusing on other aspects of creativity that don't necessarily have to do with the gear or the settings. And so that's just, uh, that's what I wanted to say. Thanks. I think that was, that was pretty pretty fantastic gene and i think you're right there's a lot to be gained just from going back and i know david has talked about this before as well um for those of you who who don't know david parish um he's uh the um one of the uh, owners of pro edu 
um, he's talked about this as well, about how giving yourself creative restrictions really causes a flourishing in, in creativity and in the way you think. And it's, it's absolutely an exercise worth doing if you can. Um, and I know we're coming toward the end of the hour, so I wanna make sure we hear from MJ. Hello, lovely. What are your thoughts this morning? Um, I just wanna second everything you guys said. Jean just did what you did and covered everything that I was going to say, and I then it was even better because I was able to take notes and kind of put it into words, because I'm not always great at putting in things into words, so as I'm taking notes to kind of gather my thoughts, I'm also, you know, at the same time journaling, and for that reason, I'm really grateful. Thank you so much for, like, sharing all your difficulties, because once we kind of get over one of these things in our head... I know that I tend to go through the next thing. I've got the gear. Now I need to challenge myself or I don't have the gear and I'm not necessarily learning what I want to learn right now, but that doesn't mean there isn't another part of the business that I really will benefit from learning at this time um, by using my creativity and, and compassion because it is hard to create this stuff no matter what your mental block is or what mental spiral I tend to get into at the time. It's very nice and refreshing to see that other people do the same things. We're not always right in the same part of learning and pushing through these barriers. Um, but it's, it's good when you can step away from it for a few minutes and see that this is a process I've been through before and and recognize it and and I love love loved at the beginning when you guys were saying well what am I going to do stop like am I am I just gonna, not going to walk into this group of art artists like no I'm not like I think that was hilarious because like really am I just am I just going to stop because I feel this way thanks bud um and that was that was perfect and I I feel like I'm going to be say I'm going to go cross stitch that on the pillow and put off what I really need to do which is editing and say, what are you going to do? Stop? Like, you just, you're going to give up and go sit in bed, which is totally possible. But I know I won't, if I do that, I won't sit in bed for very long. So thank you. I greatly appreciate it. Oh, that makes me so happy to hear. Um, and yeah, I think if, if I had to leave everybody with one thing at the end of this week, it would be to remind you guys that you're not alone you are not alone all of us struggle these with these challenges all of us face perfectionism or comparison or you know even the situational comparisons if i just had the thing or if i could only get my hands on the studio or you know if i if i didn't have my time eaten up by work or kids or whatever it is um the last thing i want you to think is that you are the only person fighting this battle because you're not we all do. We have all been there. You are not some strange person who is the only one who's ever experienced these struggles. The rest of us are right there with you, cheering you on because we've been there and we've done it and you can get past that thing. So don't feel alone with any of the stuff we've talked about this week, any of these internal battles. Um, we have all fought them and you've heard us over this last few days discussing our own struggles. So, you know, firsthand that we have them. So we're there with you. And guess what? All of your favorite photographers, all of your favorite artists, they had them too, and they still do. So they can be proof for us 
that it is possible to make great art, to have a fantastic business, to be a wonderful um, artist and educator and everything else, despite the fact that we are all just a little bit crazy. And remember that normal doesn't exist, please. Normal is not a thing. Don't compare yourself to an idea of normal because it's not real. Um, there is no such thing as perfect. That's not a standard you can ever reach. So huge thanks to everybody who contributed to the conversation this week, who was vulnerable and came up and shared your struggles. You all are amazing. This place, this room, this group would not be what it is without having you guys here. So I can't tell you how much I appreciate you. I hope everybody has an incredible weekend. Go do something fun, get some rest. Go, go uh, make something amazing, and hopefully we will see everybody bright and early Monday morning at 7 a.m. Mountain Standard Time at 6 a.m. for the West Coast and 9 a.m. for the East Coast afternoon for our friends overseas. In the meantime, guys, have a good one. Thanks again for listening to this live Clubhouse discussion moderated by all of us at the Artist Forge. We hope you found the information useful and that it helps you gain a little bit of insight as to how you work on your craft. For more episodes, please join us each weekday on Clubhouse or visit theartistforge.com. Now go make something incredible.